This week's Cloudcast is brought to you by Momentum SI. Whether you want to migrate applications to the cloud, transform to enable DevOps, gain insight from big data, or accelerate your agile development, Momentum SI's strategy, consulting, and hands-on expertise can help you get there faster and with greater success. Check them out at MomentumSI.com. And now, on to the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. Brian is off working tonight, and he'll be back for the next show, but tonight we're going to talk about two different areas, the evolution of continuous delivery and the rise of Docker as a fully functional ecosystem. And in order to do that, I need to introduce our guest tonight, and there's Avi Cavalli, CEO of Shipple. How are you doing, Avi? Pretty good. How are you? Great, great, great. Now, first of all, before we even dig into that, um, you have a very interesting background that some of our listeners, you know, we tend to have pretty techie folks here. Um, you've actually been involved in Xbox Live and Connect and, and some of them, you know, you worked at Microsoft for a number of years. What was that like? And to kind of wrap it into CI and CD for a moment, what kind of tools, process, things you saw, things you didn't see in time at Microsoft? Uh, yeah, I mean, Microsoft was, I mean, especially like, I mean, if I just kind of separate Microsoft off into multiple buckets, uh, I mean, there was a traditional Microsoft, the Windows and Office and everything. And then there was the whole renegades called Xbox. And so, <laughs> so Xbox acted and behaved nothing like what the rest of Microsoft actually behaved. And so it was a lot of fun. I mean, even though you were kind of inside Microsoft, uh, you operated almost like a complete autonomous uh, fashion and the other thing that was very very different from Microsoft those days was it was the only hardware manufacturing arm inside my Microsoft so they acted completely differently so that was a lot of learning for me and uh, the thing about Xbox also was that even before anybody talked about continuous delivery and all of that stuff which was not such a hot topic uh, back in 2003 when we launched Xbox Live that was one of our critical things is that we have to continuously upgrade the service and, and it shouldn't be disruption. I mean, we had 6 million concurrent users at any given point of time at that point. I mean, I think it's way bigger right now. Yeah. And so right, right, you right. cannot. <laughs> and 6 million people that will get really, really, really angry if Xbox Live goes down. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that was the big thing. And then we did A-B testing. We did all kinds of stuff, which is pretty common knowledge these days, but at that point it was a lot of fun to do it for the first time at that scale. Sure, and, and really probably, um, probably I wouldn't say one of the first, but certainly a pioneer um, in this field of, of continuous services, without a doubt. Um, now to kind of flip it over for a second into kind of what you're doing these days and, and this idea of... of really Docker rising as a, a, a vibrant ecosystem above and beyond. We always hear about, you know, Docker the product and, and kind of spawning out of .cloud and, and then Docker Hub and, and really a lot of the open source areas that happen. But we're starting to see a lot of products, companies, services uh, really kind of springing up around it. Um, and this really rise of, of 
uh, you know, quote unquote, developer cloud focus. And when we start to, at least historically, when we think of like CICD, I, I tend to immediately think of Jenkins. Um, but Docker and Jenkins help me out a little bit of, you know, do they play together? Do they not play together? And for those that are out there that are just kind of learning all of this, kind of give everyone a little bit of intro into CICD and, and Jenkins versus Docker and all of this. So, I mean, uh, there's multiple questions in that. So I think I'll just first kind yep. of think about what CD is. I mean, there's a lot of misnomer about what CD actually is. I mean, CD is continuous delivery. That doesn't mean you are upgrading production the moment code gets written, assuming a whole bunch of things happen in between. What it means is that you are ready to deploy if you choose to at any given point of time. That basically means your master is always deployable. That doesn't mean you are deploying it. It just means that I can deploy it. So that's kind of where we get to most of the times. And from a continuous integration perspective, it's again a misnomer because what people typically have done in the past about continuous integration is they kind of build stubs and then they call it, they write a whole bunch of unit tests that test against those stubs. And if it all passes, they say we are continuously integrated, but you're really not continuously integrated because you're just running against a facade that you created. And if you think of agile delivery, even the facades against which you created are also evolving. So when you bring all these pieces together and we call that the functional testing, all of those things, again, break. And so even though you are fully continuously integrated, doesn't mean you are actually going to be working seamlessly when you do deploy. So that's the first problem that we are trying to go after. Now, from a Jenkins perspective, it was definitely one of the earliest solutions that was out there, and it has remained that way. So it's, it's kind of like I call it like a glorified Chrome job. And, and, and what is happening is there's a lot of plugins and everything, but all plugins kind of act in an autonomous way. So you end up putting the same settings in a whole bunch of places again and again and again because no plugin knows what the other plugin is doing. So there's no standardization across the board. And then like Jenkins kind of is like more of a scheduling engine. And a lot of people use it in data centers to do backups because it kind of wakes up at 1 a.m. and does a whole bunch of tape backup fires and then finishes all of that. So I think what we are doing is really getting to the point of, hey, whether your code is actually deployable is what we are really focused on. And when you want to get to that state, the infrastructure requirements goes up phenomenally in terms of like every single developer, if you want to do functional testing against a topology that is real topology on how a production could be deployed, that means you need that many number of machines to actually handle it. And that is where Docker comes into picture. So because of the lightweight nature and the ability to spin up these things in a fraction of a second, what you get is that feel where you're actually having a full topology and you're testing against that topology of all the actual live services. And then eventually you can package it and make it immutable. And then that's where the traditional DevOps about, hey, I'm going to recreate something that existed in one place programmatically in another place goes away, you're kind of thinking of it like saying, I have this whole packaged immutable container with the application inside it, and then it actually worked in this particular topology with these versions of my dependencies, so it kind of becomes like a manifest that you can actually deploy to production as is. So a lot of things that people were doing heavy lifting kind of become simplified, and the whole workflow of, 
hey, I'm going to deploy the machine as the last step becomes kind of like the first step where you're actually spinning up a container. Sure, sure. And and what I've seen before too is, uh, again, this kind of talking about lightweight for one second, the idea of containers versus VMs and, and the idea of having continuous uh, delivery through containers as opposed to having every everything done on VMs. And, and this brings up this concept of um, a developer could spin up a container on a laptop and then kind of really honestly move it kind of everywhere, everywhere and anywhere in the Docker model, you know, through, through test dev, AWS, in-house production, wherever you need to move it. And it really helps with the potential, you know, gotchas of, you know, hey, it worked on my laptop. I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we call it the it works on my machine syndrome. Right. That's exactly what they're trying to avoid. Yeah. And, and, and that is historically been very hard on a laptop because, you know, unless you have a lot of processor and a lot of memory and an SSD, it's hard to spin up a whole bunch of VMs on a laptop. So, so I, you know, there's always been workarounds, but, but historically the things I've seen in the past, it still doesn't, when you're doing, dealing with VMs, it's almost just too heavy of an infrastructure at times. Um, now, Going to another topic too, that there was an interview um, that that, and I put a link to the show notes in it. Um, that you mention um, code and apps typically exist, or you know, are, are at least a repository in the cloud. Yeah, typically GitHub, but but CI and, and CD, CD a lot of times just happens in in house, and this doesn't didn't necessarily make sense to you of like how do we move CI and CD. Um, and wanted to talk about that a little bit, but what what were you kind of getting at when you when you made that statement? So I think I think what I mean by that is it's it's kind of like I mean there are a few hosted services uh, these days. I mean because there's a lot of uh, stuff people have started working on the same kind of concept. That was kind of like a comment that I made like about two years ago when how we started Shippable at that point. So everybody were using Jenkins. So what we used to do is let's say you were using a PaaS like Heroku. And, and you were developing on GitHub, to push to Heroku, the only way you could actually do it is either directly push to Heroku, which means you don't know whether it's going to work or not, or you kind of spun up a VM on Amazon, installed Jenkins, and then made Jenkins do the whole CI process and then push to Heroku. So it, it kind of didn't make sense where you're ready to kind of go on a SaaS product on your source control. You're ready to go kind of like a PaaS, which is almost like infrastructure available as a SaaS for you. And then you're using IaaS for CI. And a lot of times people actually even did that on their own infrastructure behind their firewall. And what I learned when I, as I started going through this process was that the reason why they're doing that is that they want full control of those machines. And, and because development is such an iterative process, a lot of times things don't work. So they want to be able to keep looking at the machine, SSHing in, and that's kind of how, why CI never ever kind of became servicized. And I mean, even for us, after we launched our beta product, it almost looked, took like 10 months of hardening where we could pretty much guarantee that an average person who signs up to our service and runs a build potentially runs. I mean, so that, that hardening is a very difficult process. And that's why nobody, it's a messy problem and nobody wanted to really go solve it. Yeah, right. That, that, that's fantastic. And, and this idea of almost, you know, mixing your infrastructure layers is a very foreign concept to folks at times, without a doubt. Um, so, so that's, again, where this containerized um, aspect comes into play of, 
okay, we talked about we're trying to solve a lightweight problem. Um, what other problems that are out there? You know, I, I see uh, you know, certainly faster time to value, the ability to spin up, you know, a container in seconds kind of thing. I see portability uh, between environments, uh, the ability to kind of move everything, check things out of Docker Hub, if you will, and, and kind of move everything everywhere. Um, are those the big ones? Am I missing any others? What are some other, you know, main reasons and pushes for for this uh, this concept of containerized uh, continuous delivery? I think I think the biggest point that it's kind of like seems like uh, a point that is not highlighted enough. I think the biggest value I see is the layering of your versions. So in a in a if you look at a VM, the way it actually works is. You kind of spin up a VM, you install a whole bunch of stuff, you can snapshot it, and you have like an immutable copy of your VM. But it's, it's a binary blob. I mean, it's just a blob sitting there. And let's say that I want to go make one single file change on that particular VM. I cannot really make it a patch on top of it. All I have to do is to go back, reinstantiate the entire VM, go make that change, and then go through the snapshotting again. And if anybody has tried to do snapshotting on even AWS, which is one of the most popular ISs out there, it takes you anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes for you to snapshot it. And all I did was one single change. And with containers, the beauty of you being able to layer things on each other where it's a union file system where the top layer always wins gives you that ability to very rapidly make changes to your infrastructure container if you want to, if you, for lack of a better word. So I think that's the biggest value that I see, especially for developers when they're actually using it. And of course, all the other things are still true, and that's that's kind of how I think of it. Is why it's it's a lot more exciting. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a f- fantastic idea, and and I've I've thought about it before, but probably never to that level of of what do you do? Make a snapshot, kind of store it, golden image, if you will, and then make one little change, and and what has to happen to make one little change and, and how painful that can be, especially in a, a very iterative process where you're doing things over and over, make one change, see if it works and, you know, make this tweak, make this tune. Uh, yeah, I completely get that. Now it's, it's kind of like, think of it as like CD burning versus. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, what... that's fantastic. I completely agree with that. That, yeah, it's like you got to burn the copy, burn a new copy, right? Yeah. So that's great. And now I also see um, shippable specifically for a second. Um, you have integration with, with Docker Hub. You have integration with Chef, with Puppet, Puppet even uh, Kubernetes. Um, tell me a little bit more about what it means, uh, you know, from a product and project standpoint of this containerized CD and, and what would a typical workflow look like and, and those various interactions? So, I mean, to kind of explain where we actually fit in, I mean, the way to think of it is if you look at the whole life cycle, you can kind of break it down into three big chunks, okay? So there is the act of building the code, uh, which typically GitHub and Bitbucket and all these guys are involved in terms of source control and the developer is very actively involved. And then there is the act of deployment, which is there's a whole bunch of technologies that you can use to really say, I want to deploy, which is Puppet, Chef, Kubernetes, a whole bunch of things out there. Um, In Ansible, people use a lot of technologies out there. But there is an other uh, in-between, there's a big chunk that's missing, which is the decision to deploy or the decision to ship. So I actually coded it. I know how to deploy it, but should I deploy it is the question. And that's what we are focused on. 
So what we really are trying to get to is like saying when somebody makes one single line of change to their code base that's already running in production or might not be running in production, how do you know that nothing is actually going to happen or break when you do push this out into production? And that entire decision process and the life cycle of that is where we fit in. Ah, very good, very good. Yeah, that that and that helps a lot with with again. We keep mentioning on this show uh, the concept of microservices um, as an architecture, and this is really just an example of really continuous integration and continuous de- delivery. The the ecosystems kind of evolving to embrace containers and, and microservice architectures. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and so, um, what was interesting too is now, now how far do you take the the Docker integrations? Obviously, there's Docker Hub that's out there, but um, you did a podcast with um, a really good friend of the show, uh, uh, Lucas Carlson. We had him on recently to discuss uh, Panamax. Um, do you, for instance, integrate with with Panamax? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's definitely on our roadmap uh, to work with Panamax. I've been playing around with it. Uh, I mean, Lucas has been advising us for over a year now in uh, in terms of where we need to go and how we need to think about it. So, I mean, there are going to be all, I mean, as I said, Panamax is another example of a deployment technology that's out there. And so, so again, we will, I think it's very hard to play Geneva in the space we are, but somehow we have found a place where we can play Geneva. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that that is getting harder and harder these days. Now, now, what would you say? Because um, I, I kind of always ask the, the you know the generic question at the end of like, what are the low hanging fruit um, when it comes to you know what are the customers that you're solving? Like, what are the number one problems that they come to you and go, yes, this is absolutely. I've been following this industry. I've been following these this methodologies. I've been using a lot of these tools, but but you know you're really helping me solve this particular issue. What, what does that tend to be for you? So we definitely are making CI and CD become super simple to actually uh, use. I mean that's definitely out there. I mean that's a very uh, known thing. Uh, I mean, anybody who has played with Jenkins always tells me that it's super fragile. Once it starts working, we don't want to touch it at all. And that kind of thing, we want to make it very interactive and people can play with our product and and make their processes even more streamlined. So it's not like, hey, I, I made it work and let's sit, let it sit there on the shelf. The other key thing that we're really going after is we help you optimize your lab infrastructure. So if you think about any kind of development team which has like a like let's say anywhere between seven to ten people they end up having all these topologies like test one test two test three environments and they have all these things on what code base is running on all these things so what you end up typically is usually you end up with 15 20 vms for your own small team that you're actually trying to work with so what we help you is to optimize that footprint so we'll help you get better density and, and at the same point of time, get you more flexibility of your infrastructure where before you had only these three environments which all your 10 developers were working against and they had to kind of do time sharing on it. Now what we can do is by reducing it by, let's say, 60 70%, which is what we have seen in our tests and with a few customers that we are working with, you can also give every single developer their own dedicated topology of that whole application. 
So that means you've brought the accountability all the way to the individual developer to make sure it works before you actually push it out to this master branch. So that's one thing which people don't immediately realize it, but as they start using it, they quickly realize that, hey, this is optimizing my entire lab footprint. Ah, nice. And so then shippable as a product, is this, is this you know, service in the cloud? Is this on-premise? Is it both? Tell me a little bit about the offerings. Uh, so, so we basically definitely have a cloud offering, which is completely hosted. You don't need to think about servers or anything like that. And you can, you can pretty much run CI in the cloud and do CD to most of the passes or even uh, physical infrastructure if you want to. But we also have uh, five early adopter customers that we are working with where they're already deploying shippable behind their firewall as a dedicated infrastructure. They still run multi-tenancy, but it's multi-tenancy with their departments. So think of it as like the IT is kind of like the Uber provider and each individual department, like for example, finance team, finance IT, or some other engineering organization all act as different organizations to that IT organization. So it's kind of departmental multi-tenancy inside yep. an enterprise. And, that, and I'm actually seeing that more and more um, for those that, you know, for one reason or another are choosing to not go public, uh, at least not yet. Um, I, I really see this idea of, uh, you know, an enterprise that wants to act like a service provider. And then probably the number one idea of that multi-tenancy does come down to different departments or projects. And so, yeah, that, that sounds spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we are already having about five guys doing this. I mean, before we publicly launch the product out, we want to build it so that it actually works on day one. So. Very cool. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, we're out of time for this week. Um, Avi, where can everyone follow you or the company and find out more about what's going on at Chippable? Uh, definitely www.shippable.com. Uh, our Twitter handle is at bshippable. And my personal Twitter handle is avinci, A-V-I-N-C-I, like Da Vinci without the D. So. Oh, cool. You must have got in early to get that one. That's a short one. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we, we got in early on Docker, too. So <laughs> there you go. A way to see these things. So. Yep. All right. Well, if you like the show, please tell a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net, where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. to the other podcasts yet? No, really? There are quite a few shows that deserve your attention, you know. Up to it then.